Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences is a proud sponsor of this I Believe podcast. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Hi, Omis. Registration is now open for our first back-in-person event since the pandemic. The 2022 I Believe Survivorship Seminar will take place this year in Nashville, Tennessee. Join Akira Sight along with Dr. David Reichstein, Tennessee Retina, top physicians and experts for two days of workshops and educational sessions chock full of info and tools to help you survive and thrive with an ocular melanoma diagnosis. Of course, we'll mix in a bit of Nashville-style fun along the way. For those attending in person, we hope to see you at our welcome reception the evening of October 13th, so please plan your travel accordingly. You can reserve your hotel room using the link provided at the time of registration, or you can book your own preferred nearby favorite hotel. If you're unable to attend in person during the registration, simply select attend from home as your option. If you plan to attend in person or online, please register as soon as possible using the link in the show notes or head to tinyurl.com slash I believe 2022. And that's I spelled E-Y-E. After you register, again, just be sure to finalize your travel plans and reserve your room at a hotel there or nearby. Please email contact at acureinsight.org with any registration questions. Share the news with your fellow Omis. We can't wait to finally see you again. Hey friends, I am so excited to be talking to you a little bit about our experience at ASCO. So if you are not aware of what ASCO is, ASCO is an event for really the entire cancer community that is created and um, funded and put on by the American Cancer or the American Society of Clinical Oncology. So they help orchestrate this huge event. So I mean by huge I mean like like 30 plus thousand people. Um, I think before the pandemic, it was more, but at the moment, you know, the event that we attended was roughly 30,000 people in person, as well as a, a series of people who attended virtually. And so what were we doing here? Right? So if you saw anything on social media, um, a cure site was there with a booth. So that means that we had an exhibitor spot in the hall where um, pharmaceutical companies could come and network as well as other patient advocacy groups. And then we also were able to connect with, you know, multiple doctors who are in the field of uveal melanoma. So while we were there, we were manning this booth where we had information. We had pamphlets, like the things that we give out for patients um, about a cure in sight. And our goal was to connect with as many people as possible in the field of uveal melanoma, as well as to just make more people aware of you know, what is ocular melanoma and how does it affect us as patients and to really just advocate for more research, more funding, more awareness around ocular melanoma and when it metastasizes, um, just how, how difficult that can be or is really for all the patients that it affects. Um, so that was our main goal was to just really bring as much awareness and just to kind of like stamp our name and to stamp the name of ocular melanoma everywhere possible. Um, and one of the really neat things is that we were able to connect with people who had never heard about ocular melanoma before. And we were also able to connect with people who um, are around the world and who are practicing physicians who are aware of uveal melanoma or who are, um, you know, the parents of a doctor who also treats uveal melanoma or who maybe they're an ophthalmology, um, an ophthalmology like connection and they know someone who treats patients with ocular melanoma. And so what we were able to do when we met those people is we were able to connect with with them around our registry. So we have the patient registry that we are um, hoping to continue to make this global. And so anyone from other countries like um, the Netherlands, Germany, France, um, we ran into people from India, we ran into people from, um, oh, where was it? 
South Africa. Um, there were, I mean, there were so many different places, Brazil, and we thankfully have all of our brochures translated now into, I think, six languages. So, um, we were able to connect through the language barrier with some of these people and just make them aware of what we offer patients and also make them aware of our registry that patients worldwide can become a part of our registry so that we can help to further the research globally for ocular melanoma. Um, and what we, you know, what we offer for patients, the support network that we offer and, um, just the ways that we are able to support doctors in supporting patients and making sure that they're informed was, it was a huge, um, a huge success. And the people who were able to connect with us were just like in complete awe that this existed for their patients. Because, you know, as we know, this is a rare disease and this is something that's really challenging to to navigate on your own. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that we did. Now, the other thing that we did is inside this exhibitor hall, um, we were able to go through other booths. And so we could go and talk to other organizations. We could talk to other physicians, other researchers in drug development and, um, so one or two of us would be manning the booth and then one or two of us would be out with our phones with a, it had like a little scanner code so we could gather information like email addresses and contact information and take notes on like each person we talked to. And we went through and we just talked to as many people as we could um, about uveal melanoma, but specifically we, we were looking for people who, you know, their, their sign said something about melanoma. Um, and you know, we, we stumbled across just kind of by accident, we stumbled across a couple of different pharmaceutical companies that have drug development um, for uveal melanoma that just hasn't surfaced yet. And so, you know, we were able to just make a case for, you know, speeding that process up and making sure that they are aware that people, you know, people's lives are at stake and that we as a patient group really would love to see them, you know, move forward faster and that we have the resources and the ability to connect with patients and connect them with the patients if they, you know, are recruiting for say a clinical trial in phase one or two. Um, so that was a huge, um, a huge success because the people who heard about that then can fall back on us as a patient advocacy group and just realize, you know, that we have a way to connect them with patients who have this rare cancer. Um, because that can be one of, uh, I think Dr. Moser is going to talk briefly about it in his little interview later, but that can be one of the barriers to clinical trials for uveal melanoma or for any other rare cancer is making sure that it's accessible to patients. Um, and making sure that patients actually know about it because rare diseases can be hard to contact people. Um, so that was, that was one of the things that we did is we went around and just like introduced ourselves to random companies who we thought maybe, you know, this would be a great opportunity to just say, Hey, do you have any drugs in development for uveal melanoma? Yes. Awesome. Where can we find information? Or, you know, no, you don't have any. Well, here's why. Here's why my story or here's why Melody's story or Lauren from the board. Um, here's why our stories should, you know, impact you and all of the other patients that we are here representing so that you want to, like, make this happen faster. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know about everyone else, but I feel like, you know, generally I think Melody, me, Lauren, like, we all felt like our stories were well-received and we felt like it was um, really beneficial for us to be able to come and talk to people about, you know, our experience in the medical community. Um, what was kind of funny to me at one point is that I had somebody ask me, you know, um, they were, they were intrigued by, you know, learning about uveal melanoma and they had, uh, their sign said something along the lines of like melanoma, um, research and things like that. And so I just came to ask, you know, is uveal melanoma, is ocular melanoma included in this research? And they were just really interested to learn more about it because they hadn't really heavily, um, investigated it. And, uh, I was able to talk a lot just because of my own experience. And they were, they asked me at the end, they said, you know, do you have a medical degree? And I said, no. <laughs> um, and Melody said, yes, you do. You have a medical degree by osmosis. And so just, you know, remember that as patients, because we have a rare disease and we have to learn so much about it, like use that to your advantage when you're talking to other doctors, when you're talking to other people, because you are an authority on your own disease. So trust that. Um, and that was a really, you know, just a validating experience there. Um, okay. So the last thing that we were doing at ASCO is we had, um, Kevin who was going through and he was attending sessions that are like the, the research presentations or the poster sessions, um, where research about uveal melanoma was actually being presented. So there were doctors who had, you know, presentations being done for them. There were doctors who were presenting themselves, um, and, 
And it was really amazing. And if you go and check out in the show notes, you'll be able to see the link to our website where you can see Kevin's summary of these different sessions that he attended and the types of research that is happening, um, who's doing it, and you know what does it mean for the community. And you're welcome to go and read that at, you, at your will. Um, but it was a huge, uh, a huge asset and a huge success for us to be able to be there and for Kevin to be able to attend these sessions, for all of us to be able to advocate for other patients and to connect with so many people. I think we connected with all, uh, over 100 people specifically about uveal melanoma um, who either were patients, knew a patient, or who knew people who, you know, connected well or could connect us with patients. Um, we also had, you know, researchers and doctors come by who maybe had never considered researching ocular melanoma, and they were then considering research because of the registry. So just a little plug for the registry. If you have not gotten your name and, um, well, not really your name because it's de-identified, but if you have not gotten your information uploaded into the registry and begun, you know, the process of filling out those surveys, or if you haven't finished your surveys, uh, please make sure to go and finish your surveys for the uh, insight.imrare.org registry. This is super important for research. The researchers take us more seriously as a group of patients because of this registry and because of how widely um, accessible it is around the world. So it's a really exciting time. Um, Obviously, like there's still so much to be had, and there's a lot of um, good research that's happening around, you know, why is Tebentifus or Kimtrak, you know, a great thing. But um, because of that, you know, like we talked about before, because of the FDA approval of our first metastatic treatment drug for uveal melanoma, there's so much more interest. There's so much more like awareness around uveal melanoma. And it was amazing to be able to be a part of that. So I hope this helps kind of give you a summary of what ASCA was like for us and why we were there. If you guys have questions, feel free to reach out to us um, and we will, you know, keep you posted on anything else that we learn. Hi, I'm Kevin with A Cure Insight. In early June 2022, at the American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting in Chicago, I was focused on an abstract from Dr. Meredith McKean of the Sarah Cannon Cancer Center in Nashville. This phase two study involves 15 research sites in the US and Australia, and is evaluating the safety and efficacy of a novel cancer drug called APG-115 in patients with a variety of advanced and metastatic tumors. This investigational drug attempts to reactivate a genetic pathway in cells called the tumor suppressor, which is turned off in many advanced cancers. In this study, APG-115 is given along with the immune checkpoint inhibitor, pembrolizumab. What raised my interest are 15 patients with metastatic uveal melanoma who have been enrolled so far. The initial results of this study were discussed during an ASCO session by a melanoma expert from UCLA. Today I'm with Dr. Jerry Wu of Ascentage Pharma, who is the developer and sponsor of APG-115. He will explain a bit more about the way the drug works and the reason for combination with pembrolizumab and the emerging results from this ongoing study. I'm very happy to introduce Dr. Jerry Wu. Thank you, Kevin, for inviting me to this conversation. Um, we're, we can discuss our latest uveal melanoma data from APG-115. Um, just as, um, Kevin, you mentioned, um, and again, thank you for the introduction to um, uh, for, our, uh, for our study. So the study is currently active, as you mentioned, 15 sites across the U.S., and in addition, globally, four sites in Australia. Um, in sh so kind of in summary, um, APG-115 is a novel, potent, MDM2P53 inhibitor, so part of that tumor suppressor um, mechanism that you mentioned. Uh, for those that are unfamiliar with MDM2P53 inhibitor pathway, so MDM2 is a regulated protein in all cells in our body, so it is not something that's unique to uveal melanoma. But however, um, it, it does seem to be, um, the mechanism does seem to be less regulated in that population of uh, uveal melanoma. So in terms of the mechanism, when MDM2 is turned down in a cell, P53 expression will increase, and then the cell will know that it is time that it needs to die. 
However, if MDM2 is permanently left on, so in uveal, case of uveal melanoma, this seems to be the case, that P53 will not have the opportunity to express and the cell will not know it is time to die. So this is sort of how cancer develops in this situation. Um, so APG115 will inhibit this overexpression of MDM2 signal and allow for P53 expression uh, in cancer cells. So there's a secondary aspect for APG115. Uh, in this study, it is combined with pembrolizumab, which is a PD-1 inhibitor. Historically, pembrolizumab has not had much success in patients with uveal melanoma. However, um, there is preclinical data that when APG115 is combined with pembrolizumab, uh, APG115 also has a second function where it potentiates the effect of pembrolizumab, increasing the sensitivity of the immune the, the person's immune system to cancer cells without really increasing the toxicities associated with pembrolizumab. So this is really exciting. Um, so to take this into our next part, which is the summary of our data that uh, we presented at ASCO, um, that, so at, a at the time of publication, we have accrued 46 melanoma patients across all... Uh, and we're referring to this as all melanoma patients, skin, uh, mucosal, et cetera. And, but more importantly, as Kevin said, 15 of those were uveal melanoma patients. So this gives us sort of a, a baseline to study how, uh, how uh, the effectiveness of APG115 in this population. And more importantly, not just any uveal melanoma patients, they're just a focus on the metastatic population. Um, this is really an at-need population because the choices of therapy really are very limited. Uh, so, so in summary, some of our data here is, uh, so, so the study has been running, uh, about two, two year, two and a half years. Um, in that time we've had one partial response patient and 10 patients with stable disease. Um, it gives us about a disease control rate of about 70%. Um, and some good news is that patient with the partial response, uh, that patient has been on treatment for over two years and continues to be in treatment and continues to respond to APG-115 in combination with pembrolizumab. Um, and to, to, to also add to that, we, did, we also have a stable disease patient. Our longest stable disease patient has been on treatment for close to two years. So what this means is that this, uh, in this two years, the patient's uveal melanoma has not progressed, has not increased in size. And so the, this, is, the, this is a big win for this patient population. Um, so to give a short summary of some of the sites that we have across the country uh, that are uh, in, actively enrolling in the study, we have Duke, Memorial Stone Kettering, Cleveland Clinic, UCLA, Penn State. Um, hopefully this is a good distribution of study sites across the country for, uh, for the for, for the patient population with uveal melanoma. If there's anyone that is interested in the study, you can find out more information from our website, um, ascentagepharma.com, um, spelled A-S-C-E-N-T-A-G-E-P-H-A-R-M-A.com. Um, our study is also listed on clinicaltrials.gov. And Jerry, may I ask um, if patients go out to clinicaltrials.gov, how would they search for this phase two study of APG115? What would they put in the search bar? They would per uh, they would put in the search bar APG dash one one five, and also put in um, melanoma because we do have many studies with APG one one five. We are looking at many aspects of cancer with this drug. But if we put in if the if anyone looking for this on clinicaltrials.gov focuses on APG dash one one five, and uveal melanoma. This should turn up one study that they can look into. And then there are links in there for contacts to reach out to. That's great. And that way they can find the 15 sites in the United States and then contact those sites to see if they might be eligible for enrollment in the trial. Well, great. Well, thanks very much, Jerry. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks again. Thank you, Kevin. Hi, this is Kevin O'Neill. I'm here at ASCO and I'm with Dr. Johnny John from Delcath. And Delcath has been developing an isolated hepatic perfusion system with a drug uh, for patients with metastatic uveal melanoma. 
and I'd like to turn it over to Dr. John so that he can describe uh, the upcoming uh, expanded access program and the pathway towards FDA registration coming up, but also their, uh, that they have a presentation coming. The data is embargoed right now for another day or so uh, here at ASCO until the phase three data is uh, presented here. So I'll just turn it over to Dr. John now. Thank you, Kevin, and very nice uh, to be with everyone here. So uh, yes, as Kevin said, uh, we uh, are sharing some new data from our focus trial. Uh, this was a global trial that was conducted over the several past years. Uh, we have uh, concluded our enrollment and we're in the process of analyzing and cleaning the data. We expect to submit this to the FDA in the coming months. Uh, but in the early fall, I should be say to be more specific. Uh, but uh, we are presenting some of the data from that trial here at the uh, ASCO conference and this will be uh, yes, tomorrow afternoon where we're showing the data from this trial. So um, as, the, uh, as the trial concluded, uh, there's no option for patients to receive our treatment currently in the U.S. Um, so uh, patients have contacted us to open an expanded access program, so we have done that. And we have recently opened our first site at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. But we also plan to open up additional sites in the coming weeks and months. So uh, we have an, the second site opening up would be Duke University in uh, North Carolina. Um, but we're also talking with other centers across uh, the, the nation. So um, as they come on board, we'd be happy to you know, make those announcements so that patients know where they can go and get uh, enrolled for, uh, and uh, evaluated to be suitable for the expanded access program. So we're very excited about both, about sharing our data here at ASCO, but also the opening of the expanded access program while we wait uh, for the submission and the eventual decision from the FDA. Johnny, will um, the expanded access program, which I believe would be in the context of its own clinical trial, will that be listed on clinicaltrials.gov? And how could people look it up on clinicaltrials.gov? Yeah, thank you for that question. Yes, in fact, it is already, uh, we have uh, put it up on uh, clinicaltrials.gov, uh, and people can just look at it by uh, putting in DELCATH, an expanded access program, and it should, you should find it. You could also put EAP, DELCATH, and you should find it. Uh, we also have a page on our website. If you go to you know, delcath.com uh, website, we have a page uh, that will show uh, some information about the expanded access program. So the criteria uh, you, you know, that we have for, to be enrolled and evaluated uh, is the ones we've gained from our knowledge, uh, both in, in the European experience, but also in the US experience of us treating patients. What would be the patients that would be best suited for our treatment? You know? So um, in Europe, uh, we have been approved since 2012 and we've had uh, over a thousand treatments conducted. So uh, patients do have available options in Europe outside of the clinical trial, so we don't have an expanded access program because they are being treated in Western Europe at various centers. But here in the US, um, you know, we have this EAP open. That's great, thanks. That was a great um, discussion with you and uh, wish you and the company great success and we look forward to seeing you hopefully get FDA approval too. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kevin. Great. Karen Helsvik, who I met at ASCO, and she's going to tell us a little about herself, and then we're going to just ask her a few questions about her experience there at ASCO. So Karen, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes, great. Thank you. And thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Uh, so my name is Karen Helsvik. I'm Vice President of Corporate Affairs at Foghorn, which means I'm leading our work on communications and patient advocacy. And Foghorn, we're a small early stage cancer company with drugs in development for different different types of cancer, uveal melanoma um, being one. Uh, we're based in Cambridge in Massachusetts. And I also just want to say that the comments I'm making here today are those of my own and not necessarily of my uh, employer. Okay, well, thank you so much for being here and for taking a few minutes to just chat with me. Um, I wanted to ask you, just because you mentioned that one of the things you guys research is uveal melanoma. Um, I wanted to just ask you, what was the most exciting thing that you saw or heard during the conference at, um, at ASCO about uveal yes. melanoma? <laughs> yes, thank you. So, you know, this was my first ASCO, and, and I thought that in itself was quite exciting uh, and, you know, slightly overwhelming because of the scale. Uh, I think in general, it's, it's just great to see the sheer volume of data being presented. Uh, it's impressive, and, and I think that is also, uh, you know, great for patients. 
because we know that's sadly not the case in all disease areas where there's just so much going on. Um, from a uval melanoma standpoint, I think it was exciting to see the data presented about um, Tebentafusp uh, demonstrating overall survival uh, in patients receiving treatment past progression. Um, it's, they were more likely to have smaller lesions at baseline, um, and this underscores the need to increase awareness of uval melanoma um, and drive earlier diagnosis. Um, so that was exciting. Uh, we know this is a drug that's only applicable to a select group of patients. Uh, and of course, we need effective treatments for all uvil melanoma patients, but, but very exciting. No, I agree. It's definitely an exciting time um, around research there. So, okay, what was the benefit? You mentioned that part of your job is patient advocacy. So um, I guess first question is why are patient-focused organizations important in your work within, like, within what you do um, at your company? Yeah, thank you. So I think patient advocacy groups play a super important role in drug development. Uh, and the goal of drug development, as we know, is to develop treatment for diseases with unmet need. Um, and I think we in industry cannot do this in a vacuum. Um, patient advocacy groups like yours have a lot of insights that help us in our work. Um, I think, as always, you're uniquely positioned um, to help us understand what matters to patients, what is meaningful, uh, also, what the patient needs are and how we uh, can do what we can do and what we should try to do to address them. Awesome. Okay. So specifically, what did you feel like the benefit was of, you know, kind of running into me from a cure insight at ASCO this year? You know, I mean, I was, for, first of all, I was very excited that I met you. So, so that was great. Uh, and again, drug development is a team sport. We need all players to bring their insights to the table to be successful. Uh, and again, groups like yours representing the patient voice and their needs uh, are critical for everyone in the research space as we advance our programs. I also think that the more involved the patient community is, the better will the outcome be for patients. Um, it also seems to me that we're moving um, in general towards, you know, we want to see informed consumers, we want to have an informed uh, patient, and then I think we need to make sure events like ASCO and other conferences also include this perspective. Um, and I think this is what we see more and more. And we also saw it at ASCO, um, you know, that cover that topics outside of the maybe specific science uh, are covered as well. It could be anything from, you know, public policy, access to care, how do we manage financial constraints, uh, diversity, overall um, patient well-being. Um, and I think we need to think about all of those different topics uh, to ensure um, quality care for patients. No, I love that. I think that's so important. Uh, and like you said, you know, medicine is not happening. It can't happen in a vacuum. Like we have to have this two-way communication between patient and care provider, patient and um, the provider of the, you know, the drugs that are being manufactured, things like that. Um, so I'm glad to see that you guys are, or that you feel, you know, passionately about that because that's something that we definitely feel strongly about as patients. Um, so you mentioned Foghorn is doing some, some research in uveal melanoma drug development. Can you tell us where we can find any information about that upcoming research or is that kind of still under, under the surface? Yeah, no, I'm happy to do that. So we're in phase one with our uveal melanoma drug candidate and phase one is the first of typically three, uh, as I'm sure you know. And the goal of this study is to find the right dose. Uh, as I said before, um, it's, uh, it's early. Um, you can find more information on clinicalstrial.gov. Uh, the study is called FHD286. Uh, you can also find more about this study um, at the Meloma Research Foundation's Trial Finder online. Okay. Awesome. No, I feel like just having having the specific trial number to look for helps because sometimes clinicaltrial.gov can get very, very messy. <laughs> it can yes. get very confusing to look through and like to know which trials would be helpful and, and where they're based out of all of those things. So I appreciate you sharing that information and just giving us a little perspective about your experience at ASCO. And um, thank you so much for being here. Great. Thank you for having me. Okay, I am here with Dr. Justin Moser from Scottsdale, Arizona. He's with Honor Health. 
I'm going to turn it over to him. He's going to introduce himself, and then I'm going to ask him a couple questions. Great. Thanks, Danae. So like she said, I'm Dr. Moser from Honor Health Research Institute, and I'm one of the um, clinical trialists and melanoma physicians who's uh, specialized in uveal melanoma uh, here in Scottsdale in Arizona. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. So I know we were able to run into you at ASCO. So what was one of the most exciting things that you saw or heard around uveal melanoma this year? Yeah, so there are a couple of studies looking at different localized therapies and pretty much ways to, you know, do isolated hepatic perfusion of different chemotherapies. And I think both of them showed really high response rates in the liver and really good, you know, progression-free survival information. And, you know, I know they're still working on trying to kind of operationalize these things at large scale. These are currently only available at specialized centers. But I think what it shows is, you know, if we can get good local therapies or we're aggressive and cognizant of doing local therapies to the liver, if that's, you know, internal um, radioablation, if that's, you know, radiation and stuff like that. I think what this data shows is really focusing on local control and local therapy in the liver is beneficial to patients. Um, you know, and I think clearly the data supports doing that with the isolated hepatic perfusion um, best, but I think we can extrapolate that to other areas or other ways of targeting liver metastases for those centers who can't actually offer this at this time or are in startup. Okay, awesome. Okay, so what was the benefit, in your opinion, of a Kieran site or you know, other patient-focused organizations being at ASCO this year for you and your organization? Yeah, so having a Kieran site at ASCO is, is huge, and having them at AACR and these other uh, cancer-focused conferences is really important. You know, so one of the things I do is drug development. So I work with companies when they have brand new drugs and they're really early. We're doing the initial safety tests and the companies are starting to plan where could my drug fit and make the most benefit. And whenever we have the discussion about, well, you should try this in uveal melanoma or there's really good biological rationale for why your drug could work in uveal melanoma, one of the big questions companies always have is, well, it's a rare tumor. It's going to be hard to enroll. And, you know, the counter to that that I always have is, well, they actually have great patient or advocacy groups. You know, CureInsight is great. And so I tell them, if you go into this and you partner with groups like a CureInsight, they can help get the message out, get patients there, let people know about the trial. Because I think that's the hardest thing for these rare tumors is letting people know what options there are. And, you know, when I talk to these companies, when they hear that there's a partner like a cure in sight that can help get the message and you know deliver the information to the right people th that actually really is helpful and relieving to them it makes them far more willing to try their drug in melanoma and go into this space so i think it's really beneficial to have a cure in sight at these conferences like asco awesome okay that makes sense that's actually a reason i haven't heard before so i love it uh, okay so Delcath has concluded has concluded their phase three trial for a liver directed chemotherapy perfusion, and they're now in the process of FDA approval later this year. Could you discuss any involvement that you have or want to have in the expanded access program for metastatic or metastatic uveal melanoma patients? Yeah, so we unfortunately weren't part of their initial clinical trial, and we've reached out to them to try to become a site for their expanded access program. You know, I don't think we've heard back or we're still in the kind of the process of reviewing. Um, but like I talked about earlier, I, I think their results look very great and I would love to be able to offer it to my patients. Awesome. Okay. All right. Well, finally, um, we are aware, at least on a an orchestrative level, that you have a clinical trial now open in Scottsdale, Arizona. Do you want to just kind of briefly elaborate on how that how that got started and where people can find information about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we just opened our uh, Honor Health sponsored clinical trial um, here at Honor Health Research Institute. And we're hoping in two months it'll be open at Angelie's clinic as well with Dr. Hamid and Dr. Um, Medahi. So what this trial is, is it's combining tumor treating fields, targeting liver metastases in combination with nivolumab and ipilimumab. So tumor treating fields are these new type of anti-cancer treatment that's currently approved for um, brain cancers and mesothelioma. So there are these patches with electrodes that you kind of wear on your body, and it puts an alternating current over the tumor. 
and you can't necessarily feel this or if you do it's just maybe some mild heat so it's not painful but it's been shown that these alternating electric fields cause cancer cells to die and can actually cause them to die in a way that activates the immune system. So based on some of the data of local therapies that we see in uvular melanoma, like the Delcat data and the other isolated hepatic perfusion, we think adding a local therapy like tumor treating fields to the liver and then combining that with systemic therapy that would treat that could potentially work anywhere in the body, you know, could be a good option for patients with metastatic uvular melanoma. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I know that's exciting. It's exciting to me that you have the trial open and that you're, you know, working on expanding the sites for it. So um, thank you so much for joining us this morning and we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Great. Thanks so much today. This podcast episode was recorded live at the 2022 ASCO Annual Meeting in Chicago by Oncology Data Advisor and Convey Med. Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. I'm Kira Smith. Today I'm here at the ASCO Annual Meeting in Chicago speaking with Danae Peterson. Danae, thank you for joining us. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I am here from Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm here with the organization Acure Insight. We are a nonprofit for patients created by patients with ocular melanoma. So I was actually diagnosed with ocular melanoma myself in July of 2020. I've, I mean, I've just had kind of a whirlwind of a diagnosis story as well as the journey since. I kind of joke that the, the pandemic at the beginning of 2020 was when Frozen 2 came out. And I have two <laughs> little girls and they love Frozen 2. But one of the songs is Into the Unknown. And it was like the theme of my life. And it just hasn't stopped. It's just learning how to like lean into that uncertainty. And cancer definitely forces you to do that. Mm-hmm. So you like to tell us a little bit about Cure Insight? What do you do? Yeah. So with Acure Insight, I actually host their podcast, the I Believe podcast. You can find us on uh, Spotify, Apple Google Podcasts and Podbean. And I also am their social media manager. So I run their social media. I'm usually the person making the funny reels and the TikTok videos, trying to like help patients just feel understood and feel heard. But we also educate the public about ocular melanoma and about, you know, what what it means to have ocular melanoma and kind of the burdens that come with that. And also the importance of annual eye exams and comprehensive eye, um, eye checks so that you can monitor for ocular melanoma or the risk factors, because it is so, it is so rare. Six in a million patients are diagnosed each year. And so because it's so rare, it's, it's heavily underrepresented in the cancer community. It's very under-researched and we, you know, we, unfortunately as a patient group, we're on the front lines of seeing the patients who, develop metastatic disease and who don't have a cure. And so I guess, you know, our job as a, as a nonprofit is to yeah. connect with the patient as early on in their diagnosis and to, you know, help them feel that they have a community and that they have a place that they can turn to for resources, both with the medical community and the oncology community, but also just with each other to take care of each other, to support each other, and just to navigate this diagnosis from the beginning until we hope, you know, as long as, as long as they're here, which we hope is a very long time. Great. Thank you. So what do you think is the most important thing for clinicians who are attending here to know about ocular melanoma from a patient perspective? I think the first thing is that it exists, that it actually is a cancer. Uh, you can get cancer in your eyeball and it, it is terrible. The treatments tend to be successful in, in treating the primary tumor. The challenge that we're finding is that once the primary tumor has been treated, if it does spread, there is no cure currently for the um, metastatic disease that spreads to the liver or the lungs. So, I mean, for, for people here, clinicians to understand like that, that we need in order for patients with uveal melanoma to survive longer than a few years with the, the types of treatments that we have right now, we need more research. You know, we need people willing to go out on a limb and find something that will solve the problem of the uveal melanoma and the liver. It basically, I mean, it, because of where it, it starts in the eye, it will spread through the through the blood and it will just kind of hide out. And like most cancers, the immune system doesn't know how to fight it without help. And uh, currently we don't have a whole lot of, of research on what makes it so unique, that it makes it kind of able to be invisible for so long. So any research that can be done in that, in that sphere to, to really be able to identify it before it goes to the liver, that would be amazing. Those are kind of like, I guess, some of our, our big things that like if we had a vision board, like we would love for this to be identified in someone who's a high-risk patient. 
before it even metastasizes. If we could know, oh, you're a, you're at risk, we're going to treat your blood ahead of time before it goes to the liver. But really just, just letting them know like, hey, this exists. This is something you should be concerned about. It's highly aggressive. And compared to, you know, some of the other well-known cancers, it doesn't have as much happening in it. And because it's so far set back, it can be really discouraging, like for patients who are, you know, who develop this diagnosis, because they're told often, far too often, um, from their oncologist perspective, they can be told that there's nothing there. So they shouldn't even bother looking. And that can, I mean, just, just the, the psyche and the emotional health that, that that impacts the patient, the way that it impacts them is, it's just really detrimental because if they stop looking, then they're, they're not aware of any advances, even small, that come in research. So I think really just educating them and making sure that they know it exists, specifically like in the cutaneous melanoma field, that they know if they come across a patient who has ocular melanoma because they're a melanoma doctor, to just make sure that they educate themselves more about uveal melanoma itself and just look into the existing research and to you know not just throw up their hands and go, I can't do anything for you. Or on the, on the flip side, don't try to treat them like skin cancer because they're not. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the, one of the biggest things that we want to make sure that they know. Great. Absolutely. Anything else you'd like to share? I mean, honestly, this is just being here. This is my first time being in this kind of a sphere, but I just want to say thanks for, for listening and thanks for taking an interest in, in uh, what we have to say. And I hope that, that someone will listen to this and decide that they want to go after finding a cure for uveal and ocular melanoma. Yes, absolutely. Thanks so much for sharing your, your story. This is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast recorded live at the 2022 ASCO Annual Meeting by Oncology Data Advisor and Convey Med. For more expert perspectives on the latest in cancer research and treatment, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at conveymed.io and ankdata.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media for news, exclusive interviews, and more. Hi, this is Kevin from Acure Insight. In mid-June 2022, I attended the International Society of Ocular Oncology meeting in Leiden, the Netherlands. A very unique targeted drug technology for patients with ocular choroidal melanoma was presented by Dr. Carol Shields of Will's Eye Hospital. Uh, this investigational agent, AU-011, has been studied in Phase 1 and is now enrolling patients in two Phase 2 studies. Dr. Shields shared the initial clinical results during her presentation, and so now I'm pleased to be here today with Dr. Cadmus Rich of Aura Biosciences, the drug's developer and sponsor. He will describe for you how this sophisticated targeted drug is delivered and how it is activated in the tumor and the emerging efficacy and safety for AU011. So Cadmus, thanks for being here with us today and take it away. Thanks, Kevin, and it's good to be here with you uh, on the podcast. Yeah, we're very excited about the results that Carol presented at the at the recent ISOO meeting. Um, as you said, AU011 is a new targeted therapy for choroidal melanoma. It's based on a virus-like particle that targets specific receptors on the cancer cell, and we conjugate onto the surface of this particle a light-activatable dye uh, and so when the drug is injected into the eye, it binds to the tumor and we use a laser light to activate the dye portion to cause singlet oxygen generation and kill the tumor cells. So it's very targeted just for the malignant melanoma cells, which allows the retina and the surrounding tissues to stay healthy. Um, as you mentioned, we do have two uh, clinical trials that have been performed. One was with intravitreal injection, and that trial is now completed, and that's the results that Dr. Shields discussed. We also had Dr. Ivana Kim from Mass Eye and Ear Infirmary discuss the suprachoroidal delivery with AU011, uh, and that study is currently in the dose escalation phase, and we're planning on starting a pivotal study with AU011 by the end of this year, so we're very excited. Well, that's great. You said a very important word there, pivotal study. So in my knowledge, that means that this might have the intent for potentially being submitted to the FDA for registration in the future. Is that right? Yes. So the pivotal study is being done with the intent to, to file that data 
uh, with the FDA to gain approval for AU11. Um, so we're excited to get that study started. Um, it'll take about two years to conduct the study, but um, we're, we're planning on starting that this year. So um, it's it's an exciting time at Aura. That sure is. Uh, you'd mentioned the phase two trials that are underway. Um, could you tell us um, how patients who might have choroidal melanoma might find the two phase two trials on clinicaltrials.gov and also see the participating clinical trial sites? Yeah, so we're, uh, that's a great resource, clinicaltrials.gov, because it lists um, all the active clinical trials going on. And you can find our clinical trials by either searching AU011, and it will show as the top results, or by searching Aura Biosciences, uh, two words, and that will give you just our four trials. Um, and the, two fa the, the ongoing phase two uh, supercoroidal trial is still currently recruiting subjects um, at this time. And um, the pivotal study uh, is planned to start recruiting patients either in December or in January. That's great. Thanks. Well, um, and Aura is spelled A-U-R-A, -A, uh, Biosciences, is that right? Yes, A-U-R-A, -A, kind of like gold, is the way uh, the, our founder came up with the name. Well, that's, those are the only questions I had for you. Anything else, Cadmus? Uh, no, we're excited to uh, be involved with the choroidal melanoma community. I think there's a, a really high unmet medical need to provide a therapy that uh, preserves vision while treating uh, tumors. And uh, we're, we're excited to see how this pivotal study goes and to hopefully submit to the FDA. So... Thank you for having me today, Kevin. I that is great. It. Well, thanks, Cadmus. And we are grateful for learning more about AU011 investigation in uh, the use in patients with choroidal melanoma and the two open trials. And we look forward to hearing much more in the coming year or so. Thanks very much. Yes, thank you. Well, hello, this is Kevin O'Neill, and I'm here in Leiden in the Netherlands at the International Society of Ocular Oncology meeting. And I bumped into someone who I met at ASCO in Chicago just a week ago. Johnny John is here from Delcath, and I'd like to introduce him. There was one poster in particular at ASCO that caught my attention, and we actually have the investigators here in Leiden uh, to talk about the study. So Johnny, I'll turn it over to you to uh, set up the study called CHOPIN and also then to introduce the two investigators here. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. So yes, you're right. They, there was a poster distributed and uh, presented at ASCO on the Chopin. This is the first uh, that Delcath is collaborating with the center that uh, combines chemosat with immunotherapy. Uh, so that's our treatment for, for in combination with the chemotherapy. Uh, there were two, sorry, with immunotherapy, I should say, sorry. Uh, there were two phases to the study, a phase one and a phase two. So the phase one is complete. That was a, a maximum tolerated dose uh, evaluation phase, and now we move to the phase two. Um, and we have our two investigators here. I'm very happy to introduce them, and they can speak a little bit about the sequencing uh, of the treatment and a little bit about the data results that they've observed. Uh, on to my right, we have Dr. Ellen Capitan, medical oncologist from the Leiden University Medical Center. Ellen, please. Yeah, thank you, Johnny. I'm Ellen Capitan, medical oncologist from Leiden. Uh, thank you for the invitation. Uh, we had this idea, I think, four years ago when we thought a PHP, percutaneous hepatic perfusion, might be able to help patients, but what we saw is that the liver metastases were often stable, but patient got extra hepatic disease. So we thought, well, if we combine it with EPNIVO, which is immunotherapy, uh, we might prevent extra hepatic disease. And we wrote a protocol already some years ago. It took quite a long time, but we succeeded. And we uh, fortunately uh, got support from uh, uh, Delcat and BMS. And we started the trial with a phase one, just to look at the combination therapy and the doses of EPNIVO. And Thais will tell more about it. Uh, and we are now in the phase two, in which we randomize between perfusion alone versus perfusion plus EPNIVO. 
And patients in the combination arm start with epinevo first course, then the first perfusion, then two courses, epinevo, then the second perfusion, and after the fourth uh, course of epinevo, and after that, it's the treatment is finished, and we keep patients in the follow-up. Um, we have to wait for the results of the phase two, but Thais can tell about the phase one now. Could you kindly introduce your colleague? Yes, uh, Thais Tong, she's a PhD student of the Leiden University Medical Center, and she will tell about the phase one results of the Chopin study. Yes, thank you very much for the introduction and for the uh, invitation. Indeed, um, right now we finished the phase one part of the study. Um, that was a small um, uh, study mainly to assess if the treatment combination is safe and also what kind of dose for the immunotherapy we should um, use. Um, and there we saw that most patients responded well to treatment. So we saw a few uh, partial responses in five patients. One patient had stable disease and one patient even had a complete uh, response. Um, and so that is a very nice response that we are very happy about. So it is a very promising treatment, but nonetheless, it is a small um, uh, group right now because only seven patients got included into this part. So we hope to be able to um, confirm the efficacy of this treatment combination in the phase two part, just like Alan mentioned just now, in which we are um, comparing only the PHP with the PHP with the immunotherapy combination. Thanks. Could you also talk today about the data that you're presenting about the stable disease you saw among the seven patients treated? Yes, indeed. So um, since the start of treatment, we can see that we follow patients up for a median of 20 uh, months. And um, in those patients, we saw nice responses. So most of them had a partial response, and one of them had a stable disease. That is a very good um, uh, response category, better than um, we see in many systemic therapies uh, that is known up until now, and even one patient with a complete response. So we are very hopeful um, that this will keep on going in the phase two part as well. And it was, um, the toxicity was doable uh, because we were afraid uh, there might be more liver toxicity between of the perfusion combining with immunotherapy. Uh, but we had the, uh, the tolerated dose at EP1 and, and NIVO3, so it's doable to combine those treatments. Wow, that's really remarkable data. And uh, what really impressed me in looking at your data and your abstract so far, and I know the trial called CHOPIN is still underway. Um, you're still accruing patients and still continuing to follow up the original patients. But the stable disease really struck me. Um, a lot of people with metastatic uh, liver involvement from uveal melanoma um, don't enjoy stable disease or responses the way you've seen. And epinevo in the past as a combination of two immune checkpoint therapies has not demonstrated real responses in patients with metastatic uveal melanoma. So this alternating therapy that the DELCAST system is adding with this combination of, with two checkpoint inhibitors really is remarkable, and this study must be followed carefully. We need to see the full results at the end. Um, this is very promising work, and you're to be congratulated, and your patients and your caregivers and families should be thanked for what's happening here so far. Uh, and your collaborators at BMS as well, I should add, too, so they're contributing to drugs. So this really is a, a very important turning point. So congratulations to both of you so far. Our fingers are crossed for you and to have continued favorable results, and we'll see how things turn out in the next one or two years. Um, Johnny, I'm going to turn it back to you for just a moment as we wrap up here. Could you please explain to us once again, your in the United States, Delcath has not yet submitted uh, the device and the drug uh, for percutaneous uh, hepatic infusion to the Food and Drug Administration, and that should happen soon, uh, and your trial has concluded. So you have the expanded access program. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how patients can gain information on that? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Kevin. Yes, as you mentioned, the uh, focus trial has concluded enrollment. We're in the process of analyzing and cleaning the data for submission. We expect to do that in the next month or two. Uh, but in the meantime, we have an open and expanded access program. And uh, these are this is going to be open at sites that were involved in the focus trial, but also some new sites. So currently, we have it open at Moffitt Cancer Center. And Duke has just opened up. We have a number of other centers that will be opening up for patients. They can go to clinicaltrials.gov, which has a list of sites that are involved and will participate in the 
focus trial, but also our website. So we have a separate page on our Delcath website that gives information on this as well. Okay, so if they go to clinicaltrials.gov, I guess the search word that they would put in might be focus, uveal melanoma would be the disease. I think uh, Delcath or expanded access program Delcath would be better. Ocular okay. melanoma, the expanded access program. Okay. We're not calling this the focus trial. The focus trial was the other Oh, one. that's right. It's so the concluded is, trial. Yeah, Thanks yeah. for correcting so, me. No problem. Okay. So if they look this up, they should be able to find it. Well, I've really appreciated this time with all of you today here in Leiden at the International Society of Ocular Oncology meeting, and we wish everyone good luck with their therapies. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Kevin from Acure Insight. In mid-June 2022, I attended the International Society of Ocular Oncology meeting in Leiden, the Netherlands. During a mini-symposium, a very novel drug and delivery system from Trisalis Life Sciences was presented for patients with ocular melanoma, which has metastasized to the liver. The PERIO-01 study is an ongoing Phase 1 and 1B protocol and is open for enrollment at Columbia University in New York, Jefferson in Philadelphia, MGH in Boston, the University of Pittsburgh, and MD Anderson in Houston. The study's initial results were presented by Dr. Richard Carvajal. So today, I'm fortunate to have with me Dr. Stephen Katz, Chief Medical Officer at Trisalis and Associate Professor of Surgery at Brown University. Dr. Katz, thanks for meeting with me today. Could you describe the novel drug SD-101 and its high-pressure delivery directly into liver tumors? Thanks, Kevin, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so what we're doing at Trisalis, we think, is very novel uh, and innovative, uh, really focusing on addressing what is the major cause of morbidity and mortality in patients with uveal or ocular melanoma, which is spread to the liver or liver metastases. And the clinical protocol, the PERIO-01 study, is bringing together th two therapeutic elements, a, a delivery technology called pressure-enabled drug delivery and a drug, SD-101, and I'll describe both separately to you uh, and then explain how they come together to create what we hope is going to be an exciting therapeutic option for these patients who need better options. The delivery technology is a catheter that's used by interventional radiologists uh, in an interventional radiology suite, typically an outpatient procedure, and it's placed through a very small hole into the femoral artery in the groin uh, or the brachial or radial artery in the arm, uh, all the way up into the artery that feeds the liver called the hepatic artery. And that allows an interventional radiologist to deliver drugs specifically to tumors in the liver and also throughout the liver itself and avoid exposing the rest of the body to very high concentrations of the drug that we're giving in the trial. And what's unique about our delivery technology, which by the way is FDA cleared and it's currently on market for standard of care liver treatments. What's unique about the technology is that just before the end of the catheter is something called a smart valve, which is a dynamic structure that opens and closes in sync with the patient's heart. And this modulates uh, the pressure inside of the blood vessel and helps to redirect blood flow to the tumors uh, to hopefully optimize the delivery of the drug uh, into the tumors and overcoming what we view as a barrier to effective drug delivery, which is the presence of very high pressures uh, inside these tumors. And we hope that this delivery technology can help solve that problem. And the drug that we're testing in combination with the delivery technology is called SD-101. Uh, it's an immunotherapy drug called a toll-like receptor 9 agonist, or a TLR9 agonist, uh, which is designed to stimulate the patient's immune system. Uh, and specifically within the liver, what we're hoping to do is to reverse what we call immunosuppression, which is when the patient's body shuts down the immune response and shuts down their ability to respond uh, to other immunotherapy drugs like checkpoint inhibitors. And so one of the problems with TLR9 agonists historically has been delivery. Uh, it's been challenging to get the right or high enough concentrations of the TLR9 agonists into high-pressure liver tumors while at the same time doing it safely, in other words, minimizing the exposure throughout the rest of the patient's body. And so we hope that by delivering SD-101 with pressure-enabled drug delivery, 
uh, that will get high concentrations of the drug into the liver tumors uh, and minimize exposure elsewhere in the body so that we can do it safely. And we hope that SD101 can reprogram the patient's immune system inside of the liver and inside of these high-pressure tumors to allow the patient to respond better to checkpoint inhibitors. Because fundamentally, to get a reliable and deep response to a checkpoint inhibitor, what the patient needs is a high number of activated T cells within the tumors. And unfortunately, for patients with uveal or ocular melanoma, uh, these tumors tend to have a very low number of T cells that aren't very active. So we hope that SD101 can help drive more T cells into the tumor and activate them so that when they get checkpoint inhibitors, uh, these other drugs have the opportunity to work better in this patient population. And Dr. Katz, I believe that's the rationale that we had talked about, um, why SD101 is administered with standard intravenous checkpoint inhibitors. Is that right? That's exactly right, Kevin. So checkpoint inhibitors um, have been one of the greatest advances in cancer care uh, in my lifetime. Uh, but unfortunately, it's been limited to specific indications. So we've seen great success in cutaneous melanoma. That's when melanoma arises in the skin as opposed to the eye. We've seen great outcomes in patients with lung cancer and kidney cancer. But unfortunately, for patients with tumors inside of their livers, uh, which far too many patients with uveal or ocular melanoma develop when the tumors metastasize to that organ, the results with checkpoint inhibitors uh, have been far less exciting. For example, uh, we see response rates in cutaneous melanoma with a combination of two checkpoint inhibitors in excess of 50%, meaning more than half of the patients have a response. In uveal melanoma, the best results are less than 20%. Uh, so this is unacceptable. We have to do better for these patients. And we're hoping that by delivering SD101 uh, with our technology, pressure-enabled drug delivery, we can boost those response rates and allow these patients uh, to benefit more from checkpoint inhibitors. Um, well, now, could you summarize the early clinical results from the PERI-001 study, which Dr. Carvajal reported at the ISOO meeting? Happy to do that, Kevin. And the data were presented by both Dr. Sapna Patel from MD Anderson and then summarized by Dr. Richard Carvajal from Columbia. We actually had the pleasure of listening to them describe the data in two separate presentations. And where we are with this study now, it's still early, but we've completed what we call the single agent safety experience. So before we can test SD101 in combination with checkpoint inhibitors, we needed to look at SD101 alone given uh, with the pressure-enabled delivery technology into the liver to make sure that giving the drug this way was safe and also to do a dose escalation, which means to test different doses of the drug um, to make sure that as we go up, we don't see an increased number of side effects. And so we've completed that, and the initial safety data that was presented in Leiden uh, were very encouraging and reassuring. Uh, there were no serious safety events related to giving SD-101 directly into the liver, uh, with the pressure-enabled technology. Uh, in addition to the safety data, we showed some early biopsy data, uh, which indicates that we may be getting the type of immune reprogramming uh, that we hope to see in what I described earlier. Uh, in other words, again, for checkpoint inhibitors to work, what we need to see is an active immune system within these tumors, active T cells, a high number of active T cells within these tumors. We also want to see elimination of certain cell types called suppressors, excuse me, suppressor cells that can actually shut down a T cell response to a checkpoint inhibitor. And we're seeing early indications of that uh, from these biopsy samples uh, that we've taken from the patients in the PERIO-01 study. We don't have response data yet or clinical response data yet. We hope to have uh, some of that data in a meaningful number of patients by the end of 2022. That's great. Well, how could patients with liver mets from ocular melanoma find your trial and the clinical trial sites on clinicaltrials.gov? The easiest way to get information about the PERIO-01 study uh, is the microsite or the website for the trial. And that website is periotrial.com, P-E-R-I-O-T-R-I-A-L.com. Uh, and there you'll land on a page that has links to the PERIO-01 study 
intraocular melanoma in addition to Perio-02 uh, for other forms of liver cancer. So if you click on the Perio-01 link, uh, you'll be able to get the information that you need about the clinical trial sites in addition to a link to clinicaltrials.gov to get more information about Perio-01. Thanks very much. Um, and just Danae is on the line as well. Danae, do you have a closing question for Dr. Katz? Yeah, I guess um, I know that you were able to attend both ISOO and ASCO. And I just wanted to ask you if you just personally were able to hear um, of anything that was fascinating to you or that was, you know, just striking in the field of uveal or ocular melanoma that you, you know, learned, I guess, that something that was new around the field that, that you hadn't heard before. I mean, there have been a lot of exciting advances uh, recently. The most exciting advance in the uveal melanoma field has been uh, the approval of the immunocore drug, uh, which is a bispecific that targets uh, T cells and a melanoma antigen. Uh, that approval is groundbreaking uh, because it's the first approval for the indication. Uh, it's also demonstration that immunotherapy can work in these patients. So while that drug is only really uh, available to about half of the population, uh, based on a specific biomarker, it's, it's incredibly exciting to see that we do have an immunotherapy agent approved for these patients, and it really, I think, bolsters the case to pursue immunotherapy in its other forms uh, for these patients who, again, are, are really in desperate need of better therapeutic options. The other theme that emerged from ASCO and the ISO meeting in Leiden is we're developing such a deeper and better understanding of how every patient's disease and their tumors are different, uh, that we just can't lump all uveal melanoma patients into one bucket. Uh, looking at different mutations and different molecular subtypes, uh, we're understanding at a much finer level how to develop prognoses, how to develop risk levels for metastases, and ultimately, hopefully, how to tailor therapeutics uh, to patients based on their individual disease. You know, as, as we learn more and more about these tumors, I think we have to remind ourselves that every patient truly has a unique disease. Um, and the more we can understand about their problem at a molecular level and a genetic level, I think the better job we can do as physicians and drug developers uh, in presenting them with better and, and newer therapeutic options. I can't think of a better way to end. Thank you. Yeah, and Dr. Katz, um behalf of all of our patients and uh, Danae and myself from Acura Insight, we're very grateful for your time today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Welcome to the I Believe podcast, an Acura Insight production brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences is a proud sponsor of this I Believe podcast. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com.